Hello, everyone. This is Micah Ness, and welcome to Silverline Behind the Frame, Episode 3. This episode was recorded in Sonora, Mexico, and I was there in January of 2019 at Rancho Hunting, and I was joined by our good friend as well as the founder of Cryptech Outdoor Group, Butch Whiting. And in this episode, we explore just how Cryptech was forged, kind of the background and what led to that through the military experience that he had, as well as his business partner, Josh Cleghorn, and talk about that story. And also the background that was the building blocks to establish the battlefield to backcountry mantra. And it was really insightful to hear that story with a lot of relatable areas from growing up in Idaho, as well as building a business and starting. And there's a lot of really great tips to glean from this discussion. So hope you enjoy it. Here we're sitting down with Butch Whiting from Cryptech Outdoor Group based in Eagle, Idaho. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, we're down here in, uh, why don't you tell us, where where are we at right now? Uh, We're in Sonora, Mexico. Somewhere about, um, I guess, 120 kilometers north of Hermosillo in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we're on a hunt um, with an outfit called El Rancho Hunting, owned by our uh, Alejandro and uh, Mario Camus. So that's where we're at right now. And uh, we've got some great guys in camp, some ac- absolutely legends in camp. <laughs> Grant Carter is here. We've got Mike Evans, Tony Caligiuri, uh, just to name a few. Um, and man, I'll tell you what, those guys, uh, they've been around and seen some stuff as well. Um, not all of it's been with a camera guy, but they've traveled and done some some crazy adventures, right? Yeah. So that's where we're at and who we're with. So tell me a little bit about uh, uh, how many years have you had your own business and uh, having Cryptech Outdoor Group, or kind of when did that first originally start? Well, the concept for Cryptech Outdoor Group starts in 2005, 2006 in Talifar, Iraq. And when we weren't, when Clay Corn and I weren't flying and fighting, we were sitting around. We, we flew together all the time. So we're on the same cycle, the same shift. And when we had some downtime, we just daydream about doing what we're doing right now, being in the outdoor industry and how cool it would be to be able to sustain your family. And then, uh, you know, um, also get to do great adventures and do what you love to do. So that's when the concept starts. And then, you know, it goes through a bunch of different phases, but in, um, the first big break was in 2009 after I wrote a business model. 25-page business model that uh, laid out a bunch of stuff, basically what cryptic we envisioned it, what it would look like. One of the head buyers at Cabela's got a hold of it, and the next thing you know, we entered into an exclusive with Cabela's. This launched in 2009, and that's when we entered into hobby phase. And so we went from a concept to a hobby. The concept started and, you know, was four years old or so. Um, And then uh, hobby phase went from really 2010, uh, I would say to 2014, 2015, when we decided that we were gonna do this full time. And uh, I call that was when we started to come to fruition, but it feels like every year we're coming to fruition, you know? 2018 was a big year for us. And 
making giant leaps and bounds, bringing in some super talented individuals and taking control of our, our um, manufacturing. And then, you know, 2019, we've got big plans as well. So we're still very much initial growth, but I mean, it really goes back to almost 10 years um, in the making from, you know, downrange, fighting our nation's battles, missing another hunting season or opening day, not knowing how any of it works, not knowing anyone, to here we are now sitting in, you know, as one of the major rising brands in the outdoor industry and also in the tactical industry at the same time. So the whole battlefield to backcountry deal is really coming to fruition. We have programs both on the tactical side and the military side with foreign militaries and special operations. And we also at the same time have uh, in growing, growing and scaling on our hunting collection, civilian yeah. collection. And, and what do you think, so you were in the, in the military for how many years uh, prior to, or I guess in process of starting your business? I, when I got out, I was in for 10 years, nine months and six days. And I separated as a major and I'd commanded an attack helicopter, Apache attack helicopter troop in combat um, in Iraq. Um, I served in Iraq and Afghanistan. I've been to Iraq twice and Afghanistan twice during that 10 year period. So that's where I landed. And I think Claycorn was like at 17 years or something like that because he was enlisted in the Navy and Navy special warfare until he came over to the army. So he had quite, quite a little chunk of change up front uh, that I was, you know, while I was in college gathering, you know, up an education, he was uh, marking years on the calendar. So I think between the two of us, we're pushing 30 years of military service. And uh, what do you feel that the, your time spent in the military, how, how did that impact? I know we talked about it earlier um, about, that impacting how you were able to run your business and even uh, conceiving what you wanted to do inside of your business or how did, how did that impact it? Well, you take a lot of stuff for granted when you're in the military, like the logistical aspect of the support units. And, you know, I never once had to worry about fuel showing up or bullets showing up or missiles, you know, everything I needed to do my job. And, um, I was just able to focus solely on going out and, you know, basically putting the hurt on the bad guys. But with that said, you know, the one thing that really tr has translated from the military into business for me has been uh, just complex problem solving. And I think I have, you know, deductive reasoning was a strong point just because of my degree in mechanical engineering. but doing the most with the resources that you have and thinking way outside the box to accomplish it. Um, and in combat, you know, we really pushed the boundaries and changed some tactics, techniques, and procedures to be extremely effective. And, and uh, especially during Operation Restoring Rights in Talifar under, at the time, Colonel H.R. McMaster, now National Security Advisor McMaster for President Trump. But... Um, we just, you know, adapting to your surroundings and making the most of the resources you have. And we were able to do a lot of stuff with Cryptic, building the brand with extremely limited resources, especially during hobby phase. And 
I think for an entrepreneur or somebody that's building a brand, it's always going to be a matter of what you can do with the time you have, yeah. the people you have, and of course the money you have. Sure. Um, the people aspect is, you know, what talent and capabilities can you bring on how quickly and, you know, finding somebody that can move the needle. But at the end of the day that, you know, the marketing and the creative marketing and the cross marketing and the cross promoting, that was all complex problem solving that, you know, was honed in, in years of combat um, and establishing relationships and maintaining those relationships and finding favor with, you know, well-established brands and individuals within those brands that we were able to collaborate and, and those brands provided some lift introduction, you know, acceleration in their, in their networks and so on. So we've yeah. had a lot of good fortune, but I think, you know, I can say we've been lucky, but I think it's also, you know, we made a lot of that luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and we, and we were, you know, very, I guess, hopeful at the time. Right. I can remember, I can remember uh, waking up one morning, actually had moved back to Idaho, and um, I can remember waking up and thinking to myself, you know, this is going to work. You know, we're across that point where this is not just an idea anymore. This is something that's going to work. And like you have this just sense of, you know, relief. You're not sitting there wondering what your fallback plan is going to be. or. Sure what your what your outs going to be yeah so um i don't know if i answered your question about what i brought over there there's yeah, the other things too sure. like the leadership aspect of it leadership is so much different in the civilian world than it is in the military in my opinion right. and you know there's great books and there's lots of different philosophies on this but i guess i would say the leadership in combat is so much different than being a leader in a civilian sector job because when you're in combat it doesn't take much to get everybody to pull on the rope in the same direction yeah everybody has the same end state and ultimately what that end state is is you know to come home alive um sure but that's nested underneath what is your primary goal which is to fight and win your nation's battles um as decisively as possible and it's you. It's very simple, in my opinion, to get unity of effort and focus and all these things. It's much more complicated in a in a civilian um, initial growth company when you're bringing guys in. They have to internalize the brand, which you know most people can get that pretty quick. But then it's about you know where you where we're at, where we want to go, and how we're going to get there. So, I personally felt like leadership and the military was easier than it is in the civilian <laughs> sector. Yeah, it's a different uh, it's a different dynamic for sure. And and how I guess when you were getting taking it from the brand and, and the hobby that you had envisioned, and you, between you and Claire Corn, you started bringing other people and and sharing your vision. What was what do you think was the biggest part of getting that vision out to for the for your audience to see it? Like what was as far as um, was it, you know, promotion? Was it introductions? Was it media? Like, what was the biggest thing that made people realize and see, you know, beyond just your inside your head? Like, when you actually put it out there, what was the biggest thing you think that 
allowed other people to catch on that weren't necessarily working for you? Well, I think we still need to do people that aren't working for us or around us all the time. We still need to do a good job of doing that. Yeah. I don't think we have done well and we've taken a lot of stuff for granted. You know, um, when there's a brand that's using our pattern and they're wearing our gear, the guys within that brand, an example is Bowtech Archery. And they don't know anything about the backstory on the military testing and who's using it outside of the hunting community. Um, we've we've got to do a better job in, in just further expressing mm-hmm. um, the brand to end users and making it to where it is um, something that's readily available and they can grasp it and they understand it. And they really understand and can appreciate the authenticity and all the credibility that comes with it. Yeah. It's not like we're sitting back and storyboarding, you know, something that we didn't live or we didn't do or doesn't have an enormous amount of credibility with it. Mm-hmm. And when it comes yeah. to the individuals that come on board, they get that because once you're in the trenches, so to speak, and you're getting, you know, phone calls from a special operations unit, you know, one minute and the next minute you're getting phone calls from uh, an outfitter or guide operation in British Columbia. Right. I mean, they get they grasp it pretty quick, or they're jumping on planes and going to meet with what we call <laughs> tier one black soft yeah. units, and they came from the yeah. civilian sector and very very successful organizations, and it's just like they have to, you know, I think pinch themselves. Yeah. Like, are right. you kidding me? <laughs> I'm meeting with yeah. these guys to talk about this yeah. next phase of product development. Yeah, it makes it real at that point. <laughs> Yeah, that's just it. There's just an enormous amount of credibility and authenticity. And yeah. I think that we have to do a better job, actually a job. I don't yeah. think we've done a job. Yeah. You know. So so but even at the looking back at the initial stages like obviously people started catching on and, and hearing about it and even though I mean you can always put out more uh backstory and and creating that um you know, that feel for people, but what, uh, I guess, what, what things did you do? Cause obviously you did a few things right to now get to where you are now. Like what was, what do you think? Was it, was it the more, you know, inside people referring to other people and say, Hey, check this out. Or was it something that you put out that really caught fire? Or what do you think was, we got a ton of organic lift on a number of fronts. One of them was, you know, to start with was the Cabela's exclusive when we started to land on to, you know, pages of their catalog and, um, mm-hmm. you know, going from literally an unknown name to now you're getting all this marketing penetration. That was one. Then the other one was the U.S. Army camo improvement effort, which we had all kinds of just organic press that just lifted us up extensively. Yeah. And, um, it was, and it was third party stuff. Right. And so, you know, it was actually some, in some cases, global press and really making the final four in the U.S. Army camo improvement effort against, you know, three other billion dollar companies. There was also this natural underdog type. Yeah. It's kind of like when somebody walks in and a football game's on and they don't really care about each, either team and they look at the score and it's, you know, 10 to 22 and who are you going to root for? You don't care. You don't care anything about either team. And I would say nine times out of 10, somebody's going to root for the guy that's behind. Right. Right. 
<laughs> and that's what happened with us. Yeah. There was a great article at the time Cryptic, you know, really was sanctioned and formed in the state of Alaska. And there was an article that came out in the Fairbanks Press Tribune. And that thing went viral and blew up and got picked up by everybody. And the essence of that article was David and Goliath. And I think that's how it started out, David versus Goliath, right? So yeah, that was a big one. And then, you know, out of that, then we got into the, the video games, Call of Duty, um, Advanced Warfare, and Call of Duty Black Ops was actually the first one. And, you know, we didn't go solicit those. Those guys came to us, you know, got a ton of lift out of that. And then all the movies and stuff. I think you have to be an educated end user to recognize Cryptic in the movies. Otherwise, you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. But, you know. When yeah, you, but it's out there. I mean, it's being yeah. used. Yeah. Yeah, I wish we could get our logo in like bright orange <laughs> sewn on the whatever apparel they're wearing. Right. But, you know. I mean, these are big movies like Jurassic World and The Expendables yeah. 3 and, you know, Fast and Furious 7 and, and others. So those, all that stuff was all just kind of happened. We didn't pay for it. We didn't plan it. We didn't sit down and go, you know what? We really need to get into video games. Or we didn't say, you know what? We need to go be one of the top camel patterns the U.S. government analyzes. Yeah. Or we need to, you know, get into movies. Or we need to take our print and put it on Ferraris and race it across Europe, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So some of the best things are not planned. They we'll, just kind of happen. Yep. And I used to say I didn't know where we were going, but I just knew we were moving in the right direction Yeah. during hobby phase. And I think any entrepreneurial spirited individual who's got an idea for a business needs to just maintain some flexibility yeah. with where the opportunities, the windows of opportunities open and how you start to, you know, maybe jump through one. Yeah. Like, you know, Silverline Films, you guys are doing great things on the video stuff, but if you start to get enormous momentum in your podcasts, you know, then you need to follow your the success, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um now I've I'm starting to figure out where we're at and where we want to go. Right. Take and some time. And here's the other thing too, the first business model that I wrote, I went back and reviewed it um, we kind of had an off-site huddle. We went through that thing line by line. And this was uh, about just a little over one year ago. Yeah. And it was, it was super fun and neat to check off what we had accomplished. And I think that 90% of everything that we set out to do, we put a yeah. check by. And the, even the, I was really surprised, even with, you know, kind of the pro forma that you put together yeah, uh, without a CFO or a CPA at that time. It's just kind of guessing and talking mm -hmm. with people and putting numbers down, you know, and hitting or exceeding the numbers. Um, and then also knowing, okay, well, kind of fell here and we missed this here. So now, you know, we're in the process of basically writing the cryptic 2.0 script. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. And where, where do you think, seems to be the hold up or I guess for somebody that doesn't want to take that leap, maybe has a good idea and wants to kind of launch out into maybe a business realm or maybe a product or an idea or something like that. Uh, what have you seen 
even things that maybe were hindrances at the beginning for you or maybe what you've just seen other people hold them back from really going after that thing full full bore like how do you how do you get over those those obstacles or themselves that are keeping them from jumping in well the first thing is always going to be your financial position right and the ability to do again what you have with the resources available and i would i would recommend that um we're going to find the mucho grande. I'm sorry, were you doing a? That's all right. we're, yeah, we're just doing a recording, but that's hey, okay. Hey, that's it's okay. good. You it's can real. Join us. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're we looking for the a, big there's buck. There's not yeah. on air sign yeah. in red over here. It's yeah. red or green. No, that's good. I did. I sorry. <laughs> we'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that was uh, uh, Mario. We're, we we're out here. We're pursuing big bucks, and then yeah. we haven't found one yet. We're on the last day, so. <laughs> well, others have found some enormous yes. bucks. Yes, we haven't found one that we wanted to shoot. Or right. I wanted to shoot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The so one this last is, this night is real. Was, was questionable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the question we were talking about? <laughs> well, it's just what 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 do you think keeps people back yeah. from from jumping in? And, uh, yeah, having the financial. Um, you know, ability to, to go full bore into something. What I recommend a lot of times with folks is, you know, just pursue it as a hobby. Don't get yourself overextended. Yeah. Guys that normally start companies or have good ideas are also super quick to give away equity because it's, they don't know at the time it's not worth anything. Right. Yeah. So to give up, Hey, 25% if you'll, you know, come be my partner or, you know, I'll give you 25% for $25,000, even though I am not worth anything because of my idea. Yeah. Friends, family, and fool type money. But ultimately, once the company starts to succeed, equity is king, right? Yeah. It really is something you want to try to hold on. For sure. But what I recommend to people most of the time is, you know, try to try to take your passion as much as you can and not put yourself in financial jeopardy by giving up your day job bust your balls, work as many hours as it takes uh, until you get to a point to where you're um, confident. And then I also, uh, I use the saying often, and I have it on various forms and things for logins and whatnot, but risk much to, to make much. Yeah. You have to risk. You have to take risk if you want to go to something or pursue something that is going to make you happy. Yeah. Um, versus staying into a nine to five status quo, you know, you come home and the highlight is watching football, not anything wrong with football. I mean, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> being, being yeah. Uh, a couch zombie. You yeah. know what I mean? I can remember working, I had a company in Fairbanks, Alaska when I got out of the military and working 12 hours a day there and then coming home and putting in started off as an hour a day and then turned to two hours a day. And then pretty soon it was eight hours a day into cryptic. Cause I'm, you know, doing one job that's paying the bills and another one that I'm passionate about and hoping it'd be cool and be sexy and it, you know, be fun. And I just kept going on that until I got to the point to where I'm like, Hey, I want to make a charge at this. The other thing you need to do is if you're married is to have your spouse's support. Yeah, um, that's huge. That's a big deal. When I I had made the decision, I really wanted to go after and do Cryptech. Um, I had another company that I was working with, and the owner of that company had approached me and asked me to basically take it over. 
and it was super successful. It was doing like 50 million a year. I mean, it was a turnkey deal. Yeah. It was a construction contracting company in Fairbanks. And when I first told Nikki that I was, you know, I wasn't going to accept that and I was just going to, I really felt strongly about pursuing cryptic. She initially blew up at me and she's like, you're an idiot. Right. And uh, she quickly (laughs) gathered herself up and like two minutes later returned. And she said, you know what? You've never let us down. And if you truly believe in this, then I'll support you. Yeah. Um, And we'll do and go whatever and wherever you want us to go. Right. But I mean, you think about from a spouse perspective, somebody's trying to hand you the, the keys to a established, you know, $50 million a year company that's got, you know, 15% margin. Yeah. And you're saying no to it. Um, but that's, you know, kind of the deal. I have guys that are friends that are very successful in businessmen. Some of them built their own companies and other ones have inherited the companies. And the ones that have inherited them, they're on autopilot and they're making a lot of money. And they don't like those companies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's not the same buy-in. I mean, they're... No. <laughs> the guys that built them, Yeah, they love their companies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a different mentality when you put in the years and the sweat equity. And yeah. I mean, it, it changes sure. your whole mentality for sure. It really does. And, and what do you think, uh, I guess, for for that next place that you're seeing or you're wanting to go is is it something that you're you're wanting to leave um i guess is, is part of that tie-in with your family of, of wanting to leave a, a legacy or something or what, what do you see kind of beyond you in the future for you know business life that kind of thing like what, what are you seeing to to hope to leave kind of well i'm super fascinated by you know what i call legacy wealth meaning generational wealth and just establishing a, I guess, a foot up for not only my children, but my children's children. And I th- that has a lot just to do where I came from and how I was raised. And I think I told you that when, we, when I was a kid, we went from a single wide trailer house to a double wide trailer house, and I thought we'd won the lottery. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can also remember when I was dating Nikki in high school driving around and looking at houses thinking someday we were going to have a real house and I and I don't know there's just something for me the psychology of me as a little kid and growing up in a very very poor family um, that I don't take any of it for granted what you know we have here and want to just make sure that it resonates this ex- this is a great example this place we're at right now of that yeah. to me oh for sure you know you look at this and you hear these stories about you know call it homesteading and going you know four generations five generations back when this ranch was established and yeah. now what they've done and what they're doing with it being not just cattle but also farming pecans and doing agave uh for tequila and then also the hunting, yeah. you know, and that's that's three, four generations down, and and they're we've been hunting with the fourth generation quite a bit, and yeah, you know, you talk to you talk to him, and he's thinking about way ahead, you yeah. know, it's just super neat. I think it's super neat. Yeah. So that's a motivation for me. It's not just the quick, easy win of you know a VC group that comes in when you're still at initial growth and they get a great mm-hmm. buy. Right. And you, and you, I mean, we could live very, very 
nicely, but is that generational wealth? No. Yeah. You know, yeah. a few million dollars in your bank versus a few hundred million dollars is the type of thing that I kind of think about sometimes. And it's yeah. not that I would change my lifestyle much. It's just what else could you do with it? And how, yeah. who else could you help? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I and mean, it, it seems like a big part of that too. And just when we were raised with our, our parents is, is not just uh, leaving something for them, but also training and teaching them the right way to take that and build and grow so they have their own passions and desires. Because when we, when my brother and I were raised, you know, we could have stepped right into our dad's business as well. I mean, he had he had set the foundation. It was it was it could have been easy for us to just step in and take over and already have something that's working and you know keep it going, keep it in the family. But he knew and and we knew as well. It wasn't our passion and it wasn't what we saw long term or what we wanted to do. And he was equally supportive of that and building and and and. and you know, giving the instruction and teaching of how to do that, even if there was to be some things handed down or whatever, you knew the right way to handle it and your kids would know. And they've seen that mentality and even just that focus throughout the well, whole time. But I would, I would bet that a lot of the experiences that you guys had working with your father and having him be his own, you know, sole proprietor and that type of thing uh, plays well into yeah. Your passions now. Absolutely. You yeah. know, yeah. I've seen, I've seen and known quite a few different families that were, they have a legacy of sole proprietor, maybe not the exact same, you know, um, source of income, but yeah. they work for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I love the military. Um, I really did. And the highest honor I've ever had is leading American soldiers in combat. But I remember one time doing the math on my wage versus how many hours I was putting in. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I did the math out on this, and I think I was making like $2.70 an hour. <laughs> and, right. and, I, and I had the thought is, man, if I worked this hard for myself doing yeah. something, what could I, you know, what yeah. would that mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, a it's all mentality. about, it's about work ethic. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of great fortune and n no doubt God's favor on many things that's happened within this brand cryptic. Yeah. But without a doubt that has not been, um, it's own thing. Like I said, you make your own luck. There's been an enormous amount of sweat equity poured yeah. into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, some guys starting a business, you got to have, you know, a break, but you got to, you know, you got to put a lot of work into it, whatever it is, the passion that you have. Um, follow, you know, have some flexibility, follow lines of opportunity and to have fun. Yeah. That, you seem <laughs> yeah, to be having not... a lot of fun with, with what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's the way I look at it each and every day. I mean, I, I loving every part you know, no matter what the aspect is, the building of the business or the actual work and going out and getting to, to film and capture. I mean, it's, uh, it's gotta be something that you love to do because, you know, especially putting in the initial time and effort and even ongoing, it's always, you're always putting a lot into what you're building. And so, and if you yeah. don't love it, it's the passion's not going to be there and, it, and that's evident in the product that you create. So. Right. And maintain control of your brand. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that some of the trips that I know you've gotten to go on and some of the people you get to go interact with and the traveling aspect of it, there's a, an adventure portion um, that you can't put a dollar value on. Yeah. And the people that you get to meet on those trips. Yeah. I mean, just some of the personalities, you know, at least in this in industry, yeah. uh, I mean, these guys are legends and the stuff that they know and have seen and so on. I mean, there's just a lot of, it's hard to put a value on it. You can't put it on eBay and sell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Those, so many of those relationships last far beyond yeah. the trips that you go on and the experiences that, that, uh, that you've been able to have. And, and I've been blessed to have too. It's just, it's something that you can, you can fill up books with, or you can tell stories and tell other people. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that's a, a big part of the driving force and continuing to do even what we do and, and the, the things that leads into that you don't know it's going to come out. Like you said, you know, a lot of this stuff happens that you didn't plan for and, and builds upon the, the things that you're able to experience. But then once you actually get out there and, and see those pieces come together, you never knew something would come about. You meet this person there and that leads to this over there. And um, I think that's, that's a big part that you can't, can't orchestrate all the time, but you have to be flexible, like you said, to, to yeah. take it on when it comes up. Well, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And it's like you're walking up a trail and, you know, for whatever reason you want to go right at a fork, but you have to go left because there's, you know, avalanche or rock or something. And you get up another thousand or 2000 feet and you look down and you realize, well, if I'd gone that way, I'd been off the ledge or I'd been, <laughs> yeah. I'd been shelved in or I'd been yeah. in a swamp. So I have those types of experience where I look back and go, man, I'm sure I'm glad we didn't, you know, get down the road with that project or yeah. those guys or, you know, just you got to go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so coming back to just even the here and now for this uh, trip, this one wasn't uh, uh, quite as, as difficult probably as some that you've been in to, to travel several days to get to a location or that kind of thing. But um, what do you think is uh, the part of, of that that seems to to work into just, you know, traveling to some of these places to go hunting and, and whatnot? I mean, it seems like not everybody realizes that it takes a lot of time and effort just to even get to some place like well, this too. Well, you know, this this trip, because of who we're with and how we came across the border and entry and everything, was probably smoother than, I know it was smoother than yeah. uh, than coming in without that oh yeah call it special treatment right but getting a um pulled over and ambushed in the middle of the no nowhere at night <laughs> by the state police yeah that was that was a little scary at first i mean i wasn't sure what was going to happen like we we're gonna because you'd told stories about being in prison for different things coming into the border and I mean, yeah that's uh well anytime somebody comes in to mexico at this point in place you you know like they ask you're concerned about the cartel you're concerned yeah. about you know all the stuff you hear about the news and but uh yeah getting pulled over in the absolute middle of nowhere with you know mp5 full auto machine guns and having all of our paperwork in order you know turned out and then you've made friends with them <laughs> yeah, now <laughs> now I'm emailing back and forth with the guy jorge from the that was the one of the guys we took pictures with them and everything. And yeah, it, it went from being a potentially really bad situation to actually was kind of comical and unique. <laughs> yeah, we were we just happened to be hunting next to a big military checkpoint, and they they checked the uh, I guess the 
the country around the checkpoint because there's a lot of people that get dropped off and then they smuggle around the yeah. checkpoint and then they enter, they get linked back up with um, their transportation. And we just happened to be right in the middle of one of those. But um, yeah, the the traveling piece, the documentation, you know, is one thing. I think probably the sketchiest one that I can relate to in terms of travel, and we had photographers and video with us. First of all, there was no sat phones that were allowed or anything satellite. So we so we took uh, Iridium goes, um, you know, the connect to your Bluetooth, yeah. kind of like a um, kind of like an inReach yeah. would be now. Sure. And uh, we put stickers on them, and then we put them in with the batteries, and we put like. We, we cross-loaded. I think we had four of them all in total. Yeah. To make sure Spread that we'd be able to communicate. Yeah. So we snuck Iridiums in. Um, we were going into Azerbaijan, and there was a full-fledged gunfight that had broken out on the Armenian border. And we were, wow. um, we were hunting about, as the crow flies, about a straight-line distance of about 150 kilometers from the front line. And what becomes dicey in that is, you know, the geopolitical aspects of what's going on. So the Russians were back in the Armenians. The Armenian, Armenians have been fighting for generations, if not longer, uh, Azerbaijanis. And um, so there was definitely some concern, uh, you know, with all that happening. And then this wicked super heightened alertness at the checkpoints. Every valley that we went up to hunt and we're actually hunting on the Russian border, had uh, Azerbaijan military outpost. And I can remember sitting at one for six hours, Wow! you know, just waiting and wondering what was going to happen um, <laughs> and getting our paperwork back. But we actually had, you know, built ourselves some backup plans with some of our um, other government agency relationships that sure. gave a sense of comfort, but everything was fine. We had no issues. Um, you got all the devices in to be able to communicate to. Yep. And, and we all ended up getting, it's a good thing we had that many because we all got kicked out uh, to different spike camps. I think we we're all within about 40 kilometers of each other. Yeah. But we weren't like we envisioned, like a centralized right. hunting camp. And every morning you get up and sure. go different directions. We all got stuck in, in different camps um, so that we were able to communicate with each other. And then also with, you know, whomever loved ones back home. Yeah. So... That was a interesting one, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, never, you never know. I mean, you try to prepare as much as you can beforehand, knowing what potentially could happen, and bringing the right gear and everything. I mean, yep. that's it. All comes down to being well prepared. For and I've had I've event. heard crazy stories about guys that have had the most bizarre shit happen. <laughs> yeah, like um, yeah. having multiple copies of your passport in all your luggage and all your right. bags. Yeah. Like even yeah. even right now, I've got a copy of my passport in this hidden belt. <laughs> in a hidden, perfect. Yep. And yeah. then I've got copies in uh, each bag that nice. I have. Yeah. But you know, one of our associates who you know well, yeah. took his cameraman to yeah. Africa on a hunt and they flew to France and everything was kosher. They got on the plane there and then they had a layover uh, as they were flying into Africa and they were got told to stay on the plane yeah. and they, they stopped in, I don't know what exact country it was. I won't pretend like I do, but 
the bottom line is the camera guy was sitting in the in the cattle car in the back, which is usually where you guys go. Yeah. And then maybe the guys that you're filming <laughs> yeah. are up in the business class, right? Yeah. So with, with all this gear and everything. <laughs> yep. So he got up to go at this layover to stay on the plane and show the guys he was filming something on his computer. And he had left his uh, like MacBook or something in the front seat, in the front of the yeah. seat in front of him with a little pocket. Well, his passport was in there. So anyway, time to take off. New people get on board. He, they go back, fly to the next city, which is their final destination. And they um, go to go through customs and he can't find his passport. And then he realizes that his MacBook is where his passport was. And then he realizes that during that process, somebody grabbed his MacBook and stole it. Uh, and they were like tracking that thing on like find my phone or whatever. Yeah. Like uh, in Cameroon or something. But he uh, had been told, make copies of your passports, put it in other bags. Well, the customs in, in that country, since he didn't have a copy, put him back on the plane. He had to fly back to France and he was in like detention, which sounds like it was jail or prison for like three days or four days until they could get his credentials figured out and get him a new passport and he missed the whole filming of that epic hunt yeah he didn't get any of it yeah and then he got fired <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a i mean when it comes down to getting into other places and having to to access i mean you gotta you gotta have everything in line for sure because that's when yeah when stuff goes wrong you can't always have a backup <laughs> yeah this this hunt they, because they met us in the u.s and and escort us across, um, plus they're pretty significant individuals in this area, yeah. well-known within the area. It's been very simple. Yeah. When we flew into Hermosillo last time and got picked up there, though, just at the Hermosillo airport, we weren't hunting with these guys. We were hunting with some other folks. It was still an extremely tedious process, and I actually got put into um, – detention so to speak there because somehow <laughs> yeah. i ended up with like four rolls of copenhagen <laughs> and uh they thought i was i had to pay taxes to get yeah uh, get out or duty to get out so um so be prepared and don't uh don't carry more than you're supposed to if you're yeah extra extra items into into other countries but thankfully it's like you said, this one's been pretty pretty straightforward so far, and it's so been far a, it's been a fun trip. And yeah, and uh, we got one more day yet to to spend out here. So yeah, one been... more day. Hopefully, we'll make the most of it. Hopefully, um, we have some success. There's been, like I said, some amazing success and an amazing uh, just um, camaraderie and so on. We just right. haven't seen a, a buck that we wanted yeah. to shoot yet. So yeah, and and even just to briefly cover too that obviously hunting is a big part of your your life i mean that for your job your occupation now too involves that a lot and how how why is that such an important part to you uh to be able to hunt and you know do this type of thing well it it's a um just a culture that i grew up in and you know that was our what we did for family gatherings and call it family reunions. They all revolved around hunting season. And, you know, the whole culture of 
harvesting your own game and processing your own game and all organic and all that stuff is one aspect of it. But the other aspect is the uh, interaction and the, and the social aspect. And we didn't go on vacations. We went, you know, to hunting camp and that's where we saw aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and so on. But I love it. Um, my family loves it. Uh, and we've built this business to include it because that's how passionate we are about it. Yeah. So it's just something that, um, we enjoy doing and I enjoy doing and, and, uh, it's the backcountry aspect of our slogan, Battlefield the Backcountry. Right. So the tactical side fused with what we love to do. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. Great. Well, we've covered a lot of different things uh, from, from business to hunting to uh, family and legacy and definitely a lot of uh, a lot to glean from those that have, have been through through a lot and also serving in the uh, in the military as well. And so um, we just want to thank you for taking the time of sharing your experience and and being on today with us and yeah it was really well thanks thanks for having me and good luck to you and good luck to your listeners yeah thank you very much thank you for listening to this podcast we hope you're able to glean some valuable insights from this episode if you enjoyed it please leave us a review and let us know what you thought and your feedback we would love to hear from you if you want to find out more visit silverlinefilm.com you can also find us on instagram and facebook under silverline films and we look forward to seeing you next week on Silverline Behind the Frame.